really, if you want to do anything in real estate or investing correctly or to the maximum that you can do, you need to do it full time. First, a quick word from our best ever partner, PropStream. PropStream is an all-in-one platform that gives you the tools you need to reach more leads, book more meetings, and close more deals with less work. With PropStream, you can find vacant and off-market properties in seconds, nationwide or specific to any zip code. You can skip trace owner information, find cash buyers specific to an area, and find other investors to potentially partner with or fund your deals. PropStream provides you the comprehensive data and market insight you need to be at the top of your real estate game. PropStream also features state-of-the-art marketing tools that allow you to send out direct mail postcards and ringless voicemail. Even if you're not in real estate, PropStream can help you locate high net worth individuals to invest in your non-real estate business. Or if you are in real estate, then you can find them to invest in your real estate business. You can use this tool to find people who have millions of dollars in equity in their homes, and you can reach out to them via email, telephone, or snail mail. This is the perfect real estate investing tool for wholesalers and real estate agents, real estate investors, and entrepreneurs. I love how easy the PropStream website is to use. With a few clicks, you can review comps in the area or estimate rehab costs prior to purchasing a property. Act now to take advantage of the plethora of properties that have and will continue to hit the market during this time. And best ever listeners, do you know we got something special for you? You're going to receive a free seven-day all-access trial to experience all the features this powerful tool has, and you'll experience it firsthand. Just go to your7dayfreetrial.com. That's Y-O-U-R, the number seven, dayfreetrial.com. Get started with this. Get your seven-day free trial and start growing your business even more so than you have been. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks. And today I'm speaking with Andy Mirza. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to our conversation. Before we get into that, let's go over Andy's background. So he is the COO for Coastline Capital Fund Management He has 17 years of real estate investing experience and five years with non-performing notes. His portfolio consists of $4 million in non-performing notes and $2.2 million in rental condos. He is based in Chino Hills, California, and his website is coastlinecapitalfm.com. So Andy, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on today? Sure. I got my start in real estate as a part-time investor back in 2002. My biggest success prior to notes was buying condos at trustee sales in 2011 to 2013 and buying about 25 from closure auctions. And that experience actually helped me with the notes, understanding the buyer side of it. I still hold on to 19 of those condos as rentals with my partner on those. I met Sean Erwin, my current partner, in 2015, and we bought a few notes together, did very well on them, 
And then in 2016, we decided that we wanted to take things up to the next level. We wanted to be like the big boys. So we decided to create and manage funds that were focused on raising capital from investors and then going out and buying non-performing notes that we had great access to through our contacts. So we could buy them at discounts and then liquidate at higher prices. So since then, in 2016, when we formed Coastline Capital Fund Management, we've created and managed and launched four different funds. The first one has gone full cycle. We raised the capital for that, bought the notes, liquidated all of them, and investors got their money back, their preferred return and profit split. The other two are in the process of liquidating now. And then our last fund, we are raising capital for it now, and we're raising capital until the end of July. That's Coastline Capital Fund 5. So during that time, we bought $7.8 million worth of notes. We've liquidated about half of them, and we're liquidating the remaining 3.9 to 4 million. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that. So before we kind of dive into more details, for those who don't necessarily know exactly what a non-performing note is, you mind explaining or kind of defining what it is and maybe kind of high level walk us through what the cycle looks like. Okay. So when I talk to just any random person, I'll start by saying defaulted mortgages because most people understand what a mortgage is. We're talking about a loan against a house as collateral. So non-performing notes, that's used by people in the industry. So a note is basically a home loan. Specifically, what we go for is residential first position non-performing notes. So it's a note where the borrower is in default. They haven't made their payments. And then the note goes non-performing. A lot of big banks and hedge funds have limitations on how much non-performing paper they're allowed to have. So the banks, they'll sell those things off. Back in 2008, 2009, this was all in the headlines where the banks had so many non-performing notes because so many borrowers ran into so much trouble paying that they had to offload those. So we're actually still dealing with the consequences of those non-performing notes from back then. Wow. Yeah. Well, if you go back in time, There was just a huge flood of foreclosures. There were a lot of problems with the markets, governments and banks, and everybody did everything they could to basically dry up foreclosures and stop them. So by 2012, that's kind of when all these concerted efforts took place. But some of those loans are still out there. So some people got loan modifications Some people filed bankruptcy, but there was no more will to do all the foreclosures. So even in 2020, even before the pandemic and all that stuff, we were still finding a lot of loans that had dragged on from 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. Actually, in our last couple of portfolios, I bought loans where the borrowers were delinquent for over 10 years. I was going to ask, how does that work from their perspective and like the bank's perspective? The bank was okay with them not paying or did no one want to buy that non-performing note? How did it last that long? So this is my opinion and based on my experience. So 2008, 2009, the banks had a flood of these non-performing notes. So they got the bailouts from the taxpayers, which allowed them to sell what they had to sell to other hedge funds. 
and then they were no longer on their books. Now, the different hedge funds have all sorts of different strategies. Really, it depends on their business model, how fast and how quickly they can go through these things. So there was a big incentive for the hedge funds to basically try and bend over backwards to make things work for these borrowers. Okay. But then there are a certain amount of notes that kind of trickle down through the system. So it starts where you have these huge pools. Then they get kind of broken down. The hedge funds keep what they want to keep, and then they sell what they don't want to. And then they sell to smaller and smaller investors until they finally get to the investors that will actually do the liquidations or the Mm -hmm. final workouts. But you have to keep in mind that so many of these loans were really made to people that couldn't afford them in the first place. And that's kind of the issue with those kind of legacy loans is that there are a lot of borrowers that have been given second, third, fourth, fifth chances that are kind of barely hanging on. And that actually plays into what's going on with this pandemic. Because I think some people that were barely hanging on before, they're going to be pushed over the edge and won't be able to handle it. Yeah. And kind of the thing in my industry, you have these big banks and hedge funds that are very large and bureaucratic. And it's easy for them to handle 100,000 performing loans because they have systems that are put in place and they can do that. But when they have situations that fall outside the box, that's where they're really at a disadvantage. So for people like me at a much smaller level, and I consider five to 10 million a micro fund, right? Mm-hmm. In the whole world of, of Wall Street and funds like that. But our advantage is that we can give the attention to the assets that they need. Instead of managing 100,000 loans, we're managing a lot smaller number where we can really put hands on and see and really try to resolve whatever issues are possible. So one question that kind of came to mind during that is when you're looking at these non-performing notes, is the goal ultimately to figure out some sort of plan so that you don't have to go through the full foreclosure process and then fixing the house up and selling it? Or is that what you actually want to do? Is that how you make your money? You make the money on the interest on the non-performing notes or to make your money on actually foreclosing on these homes and selling them? Okay, so I can speak about us specifically. Now, other banks, hedge funds, and investors out there, everybody's going to have their different business model. So it's really not a one-size-fits-all. It's kind of like with normal real estate. You have all your sorts of different niches. You have your buy and hold people. You have your fix and flips. You have all your different niches. So for what we do, we're more like fix and flip guys for notes. So we target the ones that are severely delinquent, where the most likely outcome is the foreclosure or the liquidation. We're not trying to target the ones where they're only a few months behind and we try and do a loan modification. That's not our business model. That being said, though, and this is a really important distinction between real estate and notes, because notes are really financed, we are not controlling the property. We are the note holder or the lender in due course. The other side of the loan is a borrower and they have certain rights by the contract of our loan. So whenever we buy a loan, the first thing we try and do is reach out to the borrower. And if there's a way that we can figure out some sort of solution to either get it reperforming, uh, do some type of loan modification that would work for our business model, 
or do some other loss mitigation like a short sale or a deed in lieu of foreclosure, we'll, we'll work with the borrower on something like that. The reality for us has been that when you're looking at these loans where people haven't paid in years, they're kind of in more of a mindset of trying to stay in the property for as long as they can while paying the least amount that they have to. And then usually they, nine out of 10 or more like 19 out of 20 borrowers, they just either stay silent or they fight us. So like I said, we're fix and flip guys. So we take something that's broken, the non-performing note, we add value to it through different strategies. Then we either resell the note if it becomes re-performing or we take the liquidation measures through foreclosures or those other loss mitigation things that I explained. Sure. So after you do the liquidation and then you basically flip it and then sell the property itself? Yes. There are different ways. So if we're foreclosing on the note, we can set an opening bid at the trustee sale or the sheriff sale where we think that a third party bidder will bid on it. And usually we try and figure out the number that we think that, okay, if we have to take this back as an REO and then fix it up and then sell it, how much profit do we expect to make? And then instead of doing that route, if we just have a certain bid and net a certain profit at the foreclosure sale, why don't we do that? So if we do foreclose, there's the option of it sells to a third party and we get cashed out then. If we take it back, we're okay with handling REOs. My partner actually runs an asset management company that liquidates REOs for two big hedge funds. So we've got systems in place where we can find realtors, we can have them manage rehabs and do the whole thing. So we're investors that will take it from A to Z, whereas there are a lot of funds out there that never want to get an REO. They'll set the opening bid low because they want to get rid of it. And they're not equipped to handle that part of the business. And that's okay. Like I said before, all the note investors and funds out there have their different strategies, their different business models, and their different strengths. Yeah, because most people I've talked about notes do what you just mentioned, which is they don't want to foreclose. They want to figure it out with the borrower or they want to sell it at the foreclosure sale, most likely. So I want to transition really quickly before we go to the best ever advice. So you don't need to elaborate too much on this, but I'm just curious to see how the investment of non-performing notes, how you present this investment to investors. So I'm assuming that a specific type of person is going to passively invest in non-performing notes. So you mind kind of walking us through what the typical profile is of your investor, like what they do, what their experience level is with non-performing notes, what types of returns they want, things like that. Okay. So first of all, our funds, they're currently open to accredited investors only. So that allows us to do general solicitation. So we're really looking for people that are interested in specifically what we do, but don't have the time, the motivation, the connections, uh, And really what it comes down to, like I said, at the very beginning, just the time, because to do all the things that we're doing on a full-time level, it's another full-time job. And I have that belief of a lot of real estate, actually. I see a lot of people get involved in real estate and they get their rentals or get their flips, but they also have a full-time job at the same time that's separate from real estate. And really, if you want to do anything in real estate or investing 
correctly or to the maximum that you can do, you need to do it full time. So we're looking for accredited investors that want to be passively involved in what we're doing and they want to be involved in alternative investments and they want to have something that is a safe investment, is backed by real estate, and they have an affinity for real estate and real estate related investments. What are the returns that you offer? Is it a preferred return from day one? Is it just a split of the profits on the back end on the sale at the REO? How does like, me as an investor in this deal get paid? That's an interesting question. Most other funds out there, the biggest ones, PPR, AMIP, they pretty much offer just a preferred return and that's it. You'll get like maybe eight or 10%. I'm not sure exactly what they're offering. Ours is different. We wanted to structure our funds so that there was profit sharing with the investors. So our latest fund offers the investor an 8% preferred return and 60 or 50% of the profits on the upside. It's a three-year time commitment. And we actually expect it to be a lot less than three years, depending on our liquidations. So the combined preferred return in the profit split that we're offering, we project that to equate to a 15% IRR, which means a 15% annual return on their money. Perfect. I appreciate you sharing that. Okay, Andy, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice would be to be very careful about leverage. Leverage is one of those things where it lets you grow a lot quicker, but the flip side of that is that it's a lot riskier and you can lose a lot of money doing it that way. And this comes from experience. Before I went into business with Sean, I took on a high value flip for doing fix and flip. I paid 860000 for this house. The plan was to do a quick rehab on it and then do a quick resell for a million fifty. I basically borrowed almost all the money for it. I had some money for holding costs and operations. And I did a couple of things wrong on it. One is that I didn't do the rehab right to where it should have been for that neighborhood. And the other thing, I didn't do anything wrong. It was just the market. The market stalled all of a sudden. And that was everywhere in the local area. So I did the rehab wrong. And then I had long holding time a lot longer than I projected. So I ended up getting in trouble because I had this monthly interest payment that I had to make every month. So I ended up becoming a motivated seller, (laughs) which is what you don't want to do when you're fixing and flipping. And I ended up losing a lot of money. I got out of that loan and I spent a lot of time paying back my friends and family that helped me into the deal. So by not using so much leverage, you can be a lot more stable. So our current funds are non-leveraged. So that's actually helped us tremendously when this pandemic happened because we weren't forced to do any fire sales. We weren't forced to make distributions to our investors and we didn't lose any money. We just got delayed by a couple months. And I think that concept of over-leveraging can apply to all investments, whether it's real estate or not. Perfect. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. First, a quick word from our sponsor. PropStream is an all-in-one platform that gives you the tools you need to reach more leads, book more meetings, and close more deals with less work. With PropStream, you can find vacant and off-market properties, locate potential investors, 
or gain invaluable market insight in seconds. PropStream also features state-of-the-art marketing tools that allow you to send out direct mail postcards and ringless voicemail, which will help you close more deals with less stress. Visit your7dayfreetrial.com to start your free trial and experience all the amazing features PropStream has to offer. That's your, the number seven, dayfreetrial.com. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Okay, what is the best ever book you've recently read? I'm going to say two books because I want to give credit to the person who turned me on to the next book. But it's Raising Capital for Real Estate by Hunter Thompson. If you are interested in syndicating any deals or interested in starting up funds like mine, I got incredible value out of that book. It's written at a level where if you're just starting, it gives you all the basic information and then some. And I found a lot of information in it that I can apply to what I'm doing now. A lot of actionable information. But his book also turned me on to Pitch Anything by Orrin Claff. And that was just an incredible book to me, especially when it talks about framing things and just how you interact with other people. I thought it was incredibly valuable. So I put those two books and I just read those like in the last couple months. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? Wow. Okay. So if my business were to collapse, so I don't think the industry will completely collapse. I think there are different parts of it that I would go to because my partnership with my partner, Sean, he developed these incredible relationships with these funds on Wall Street and I don't have the same level of relationships. So I've actually thought of what would happen if say something happened to my partner and I can do business anymore. So I guess I'm cheating on answering this question, but I would stick with notes because I know that notes are going to be here forever. But I would go into the seller finance notes that I could find. I would be fishing in a different pond to find notes for me to buy. So that's my answer. Perfect. And then lastly, what is the best ever place to reach you? The best ever place to reach me? You can send me an email at andy at coastlinecapgrp.com. That's A-N-D-Y at coastlinecapgrp.com. Or you could just go to my website, coastlinecapitalfm.com and send me a message there. All right, Andy. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experience or insight into non-performing notes. We talked about the process a lot. So a lot of good information in that part of the conversation. You gave us some details on the investor profile, someone who's going to be investing in non-performing notes. You gave us a lot of differences between what you do and what other people do. And then we talked about your best ever advice, which is to be very careful about leverage. You gave us an example of the negative consequences of being over leveraged 
and why you currently have your funds as non-leveraged, which you've mentioned is very helpful during this time of the coronavirus pandemic. So Annie, thanks for joining us again. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for having me on the show.